humans. How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 159, and I recorded it in San Mateo, California. I have been on the road, and a friend of mine introduced me to my guest, Gary Ferguson, uh, via email, and Gary was obliged. Uh, He was so kind and said, come on over. So we sat in his dining area and had this conversation. I don't want to give too much away about what we talked about because I learned a lot about him as we went, and that was really exciting, so I want you to have that experience as well. He and I talked about past, present, future, and that's as much as I'm (laughs) going to give you. You'll just have to listen. Super interesting guy. Um, I am on the road. I'm in Los Angeles currently. I've had quite the adventure so far. I spent a month with my uh, relatives up in Seattle and really had a blast and been listening to an audible of Speaker for the Dead, really great book by Orson Scott Card. Um, I've read Ender's Game, which by the way, the movie is not great, but the book is phenomenal, and read Speaker for the Dead, so I was pretending like I hadn't read it before when I did the audible, and it was so much fun to listen to on the road. Um, I highly recommend it. Yes, it's science fiction, but for those of you who are like, ooh, science fiction, still give it a chance if you haven't read it. It's so good, but read Ender's Game first, because they're pretty much go together. Okay, the usual stuff, heyhumanpodcast.com. There is a links page where every episode I, I put information about things that my guests and I have spoken about, books, references, and movies, and you know, this and that. So definitely check out the links page. Uh, while you're on heyhumanpodcast.com, also check out the Amazon portal. Uh, hey Humans podcast is uh, ad-free. I'd like to keep it that way, but to do that, still need support, and that is where you come in. If you shop Amazon, then go to that Amazon portal there on the website, and uh, when you shop there, it helps support Hey Human, so go team. Uh, you can reach me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. Love to get your emails, and uh, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, some of you have introduced me to guests and things, and I really appreciate that, so keep those coming. Uh, if you want to know more about me, go to susanruth.com, and then, of course, social media for Hey Human Podcast is Instagram and Facebook. And then for me personally, Susan Ruthism on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. That's super helpful. Um, thank you for doing that. I know that some of you have been really setting apart some time and, and writing up some reviews. And I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. I mean, I think that's pretty much it. I don't know what next week's episode is yet, but I'll tell you this, I'm meeting a ton of really cool people. And so it's good. It's good for all of us because I get to have really interesting conversations and you get to hear them. So that makes me happy, happy. Uh, Other than that, I guess that's about it. So here we go. Gary Ferguson, welcome to Hey Human. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, it's a lovely, lovely home. Thank you very much. And we are in San Mateo. We're in San Mateo. Okay, which is sort of between San Francisco and San Jose. So okay. you're you're kind of in the belly of Silicon Valley now. Oh, okay. Gonna find me a rich man. Right. <laughs> Walk out to the corner, you'll find one. <laughs> He's holding a sign, well-developed app for food. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, he gets back in his Tesla to yeah, drive away. that's right. 
I, I learned of you from a mutual friend, and she said he has such a great story. So I am here to hear your story, to bear witness to your story. So well, that's where sweet. do we start? Um, I guess to give a little background, um, I'm a retired Broadway performer. Uh, I did Broadway shows uh, and tours for 15 years. I uh, ended up as dance captain for the world-famous Radio City Rockettes. Uh, and about 11, 12 years ago, I left New York uh, to head back to the West Coast to be with my mother, who was having a double cornea transplant. Good Lord. Um, yeah. And, uh, but of course, she's doing really well Science, now. She's huh? it, right. Holy and um, came back home, had been out of the business for a couple of years, and trying to figure out, like anybody else, what's the next step, and uh, ended up getting drugged back into performing a little bit. So I ended up teaching. I've been a teacher now, a program manager, overseeing all of these different programs at an all-girls Catholic school in Burlingame right up the road for the last 10 years. So for those listening who don't necessarily know, you are a gay black man teaching at a Catholic school. Absolutely. That seems different. Well, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was very funny. Um, of course, I think we never thought that'd be in the cards. That, you know, when you're thinking about, oh, I'm going to be dancing on Broadway, and then after you leave Broadway, you think, okay, well, where am I going to go next? All girls Catholic school wasn't in it. Um, of course, I was, not of course, but I was raised Catholic, so oh. I knew of the faith. Huh. Uh, uh, practicing still? Uh, practicing, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Uh, but still more of a holiday Catholic, you know, you show up to all of those. Um, so it wasn't so foreign to me to know to, to know what to expect, you know what I mean? So stepping on campus the first days, I knew what to expect. I knew of mercy. I had cousins that had gone through all girls Catholic school, so I kind of knew, a, I thought I knew what That's I was walking school, into. school is mercy. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... What, what, what did you think you were going to... Did Having grown up in the faith, so you understand the language of the faith right. and, and the protocol of the faith right. and all that. And there's a lot of pomp and circumstance to yeah. Catholicism. Um, you know, that. Right. Yeah. Uh, very, uh, what's the word? Like, um, it's traditional. It has well, very, the doctrine. Yeah. I knew the doctrine of the Catholic faith. Yeah. You know so what I mean? I knew the difference between the different religions. So. How did you assimilate as a gay man into a culture that? was constantly saying that that was a bad thing. I'm going to go back to the beginning first before yeah, we go forward because I just find that fascinating. Absolutely. That. Well, I, I did. I, I said to myself, okay, well, I'm so structured. I'm one of those very, very structured people. How am I going to go in and do what I do? And my, my only objective was to bring these young ladies around to art and culture and what that can do for the world. And that's what they were talking about. How do we take our belief system globally is kind of what, you know, Catholicism the, yeah. is. Okay. And so I showed up the very, very first day. I was like, and of course, that morning, I have to tell you, I was nervous. I was like, what do you, what do you, what do you do? I'm teaching dance. I'm teaching art. So I'm accustomed as a performer to getting into costume. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll put on a sweatsuit. I was like, it'll kind of be like a suit. I'm getting dressed for work every day. So I became known as the teacher that wore the sweatsuit every day. I used to call myself the ma male uh, Sue Sylvester. Oh, yeah. So I would get ready every morning. The glee, that's my a glee reference. Right? Right. <laughs> I would have my matching sweatsuit on every day. I'd have my matching sh shoes, that matched sweatsuit, and my watch. Yeah. And I think that whole idea that I was going to walk in, number one, 
very well put together. I'd always have a jacket on when you would see me walking the halls. I would always cover up my t-shirts, not being too exposed. I was always looking, I thought, professional. So the first look you get is as any other teacher or, you know, as any other job. He looks very professional at what he's doing. So I thought doing that first, I think, is going to give me this have people see me in a very different way, if that makes any sense. How are you used to people seeing you? Um, I, I have big personality. Yeah, very, Broadway. Very, I, I mean, mean, big, big personality, quite over the top. But I wanted to, I wanted them to see me in a very controlled. But see, this manner. is where my my question of sure. like, as a kid, like mm -hmm. growing up, being considered something that the Catholic Church is like, don't do that. Right. How do you? How did you come to terms with that as a kid? Because um, you couldn't wear a tracksuit every day as a kid to right. set yourself as a... Well, I think that's why I got into show business. Ah, because tribe. when I walked <laughs> around every day, yeah. I was in a tracksuit. I was wearing whatever I felt everybody else was wearing at that particular time, right? So it was kind of like your costume. But you couldn't do that to church. You had to walk into a Catholic church and... I, I kind of did that, oh, right? Okay. Didn't okay. you? You got you put on your little shirt and tie every outfit. day. Sure, sure. Right? Yeah. So I think you just looked like everybody else. You fit right in. I get it. But yeah. on stage, that was my moment not to look like anyone else. Yeah. So I guess it was the opposite for me. Every day you're supposed to go out living who you were necessarily. But me, I was actually probably doing that on stage. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that until you said it. Hmm. Yeah, because at stage is when I felt the most me. I could be me. I could do anything I wanted to do on stage. I didn't have to adhere to whatever society thought because all of a sudden, who's going to burst out singing, right? <laughs> as much as we possibly want to. In my perfect world, everybody does. But <laughs> right, but in a musical, you could burst out singing, right? I could burst out dancing. It was very, very normal to, to do that. Yeah. Contra you know. Thank goodness you found that voice early on. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you have a big family? Uh, I, there's only five of us, so not big, but my extended family's enormous. My, yeah. you know, my dad's one of eleven. Oh. So cousins know. and nieces and nephews and all that. There's a lot of us, you know, on that side. Parents but, accepting and loving and oh, cool with... never, never flinched. Good. You know, never awesome. flinched. Yeah. I love to hear that. Okay, good. So, you are you grew up in a culture for yourself where you're like I am who I am and I own it and this is good and Broadway of course is a perfect place for that to Absolutely. be who you are um, in the irony of being other people, you are the most who you are. I mean, that's ironic, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so you walk into Mercy the first day. Mm -hmm. were, you, were you just all about it or were you nervous? Or? Uh, I think there was a little bit. I, th I think there were a few nerves about, okay, I'm actually teaching a structured class. How do I want to do that? It wasn't that I didn't know how to do it, but this is the first time I get to create something. Do you know what I mean? There's no, there's no foundation here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, there were teachers before me, but it was kind of a mess. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, how do I want to start? You know, and I just kind of, did I think what we all do? I went on all my gifts. I knew that these are the things that I was really good at. And I was just gonna do as many of those things as it was. And I think I even used to tell the girls at the very first year, this class is like a tasting menu. I'm gonna let you taste so many things so that you get an idea of really what dance is. Then hopefully, as we go along, 
we can tap into the things that you really, really like and we'll come back to them. And that's kind of how I structured my classes and my world. How did the kids react to that? I think that was really what won them over. The fact that they were just going to get to see all the different aspects. It wasn't this thing. I think if you had taken any dance 10 years ago, before, so you'd think you can dance and all of these other things. All you knew is you took, when you went to a studio back in the day, Dolly Dinkle School of Dance and Rhythmatic Charm or whatever. That's a great name. Is that a real place? No, it's just oh. always the one I always go okay. to. But um, it's a great name. you took ballet, right? And then you took your jazz and tap. And that was kind of it. But of course, you couldn't get out of ballet class. So you had these girls who were like, I'm not putting on that little pink tights and tutus and things. So you would start losing kids. But my goal was, I want you to realize, I know that there's more out there than just that. Those are very important, and I'm going to sneak those in like your parents do vegetables. But I wanted to do the hip-hop. It was something that always felt so organic to me, and I knew I could meet so many more kids there. So we do a lot of hip-hop. We do a lot of musical theater. We just do a lot of contemporary feeling. So we got this, you know, just this whole big thing going. And then I started to realize, you know, the kids peeking at the door that weren't taking dance. Maybe I'll just take dance next year. And then, of course, they come in telling you, I've never had dance before. But they knew something was getting their attention. So, yeah, I think it was really, really cool. How did you see kids change from the beginning of a class toward the end of, of a season of class? That was always so interesting, especially the, the beginning girls. You know, you had these, let's call them freshmen, no matter what, what sure. real age, it's they would come in in the dance level one class. Some used to think, you know, when I first started, oh, it's just going to be this blow-off class. You'll go in there, you'll move around. Um, and they would come in the first day, and I would tell them all the little things, and then I would say, hey, uh, the uh, end of the first semester, there's just going to be this little Christmas show. You know what you're going to do. So don't worry about it. And then in the spring, there'll be this little spring show. So those kind of be your finals. Well, as we're working on it, you start to see that they're starting to realize, oh, so I'm doing this big production numbers. Oh, and there's costumes. Oh, he just sent out the makeup tutorial of how we're going to do it. Oh, there's a hair tutorial. Oh, I'm standing on stage and there's a theater for 800 people. Oh, this is different now, right? And it was so exciting to watch these kids have a little trepidation, right? You see the fear happening, you see the fear. And for them to step on stage and to do it. And then fast forward to then see them after the Christmas show, which, you know, not perfect by any means, the spring shall see these kids that this is old hat to them. You know what I mean? I know where I'm going. I'm doing this comfort level. And then you see them their sophomore year. You go by their room and you see them up giving speeches in front of their classes. And all that, that fear that these other kids are going through, they have no other. And they will tell you, I stood on stage and a hair in a wig doing this little dance in front of 800 people. You think reading my own words is scary? So I think that was so empowering to me. Did they have a, a concept of the fact that this Broadway person is, is now bestowing the gifts of all the things you had learned? Did it sink into them? I think that took years. I think because I was just that crazy kind of uncle that everybody saw walking around campus smiling in his tracksuits. You know what I mean? Because I'm that person, that big smile that walks the hallways all the time. And the girls are like, Gary, what's up? Right? I was that guy. 
that they just knew they were learning something and a lot. I just didn't, I don't think they connected it with who I was because I tried to be present. I tried to be Gary in the now, not Gary in the past because I had lived that. I had bowed a lot. So when people would be like, oh, Gary, you need to perform for the girls. You need to show them. I used to go through YouTube and untag myself in all the performances so that the girls would, this one, this one right here in front of you, not that person of the past. I didn't want that to be what defined me now. Why was that important to you? Because it, it seems uh, not the common thing, right? Most people be like, this is, look at all of my body of work. Look how right. great I am. That's usually how people approach their worlds. Right. right. Well, I've, I've been doing some soul searching recently and I realized that the situation, uh, the school that I was working in even though they sold that information that this Broadway dancer is working at the school, I don't think they liked the big accolades. They, it was a selling point. They just didn't want to feel it in their world. Because, any theories? Now I think I have theories. You know, now um, I, I realized that when you get, you see, when you can see it in others, it makes you not see it necessarily in yourself. So I went on to win many awards in at this at, at, at Mercy. Okay, at Mercy School. Yeah. Um, uh, not only did I do the uh, curriculum dance classes that we've been talking about, so I had about the school is a little over 400 girls. I had, at one time, I had over 130 girls in my dance program. So one fourth of Holy the school cow. was in one of my classes or another. One fourth of the school. Um, we had then after-school dance teams. So this was the competitive thing. This is what I knew. You have to kind of do that a little bit to continue to get this to grow. So uh, at, in our heyday, we had five dance teams. We had a junior varsity uh, song palm team, and I, that's kind of dancing and cheerleading mixed together. Then we had a varsity of that team. We have this lyrical team, which is the most technical girls, you know, in the entire school. We, are, we had a competitive hip-hop team, varsity, and junior varsity. In my 10 years, I won 10 national championships. Many, many, many regional championships. Holy many, God. many others. That's incredible. So, of course, half these coats up here are oh, championship yeah. jackets one way or another. Um, and every year that I would win... I would start to feel the energy at the school change every year. And of course, that's what you're supposed to do, right? As soon as I come back from a competition, I'd write up what we won, how high the scores were, how many teams we beat, and you would get these messages. You know, the first year it was like 80% of the teachers would respond, oh, that's amazing, the kids are so excited, this is gonna be so excited. And I'm talking about, oh, what are we gonna do to celebrate them, you know? Fast forward two or three more years, maybe now it's just eight teachers. Oh, that's wonderful, that's great. What are we gonna do to celebrate them? Their jealousy started to permeate their... You know, the, oh, la the last okay. two years, we, of course, our school, you know, turned over quite a bit, maybe three heads of school in 10 years. Wow, that seems a lot. It's a lot, it was a lot. And um, so when, when you had that, you'd get other people in place and 
you really started to see the competition because when our heads of school changed, our assistant head of schools changed. So we, you know, the athletics, there would be a different push, you know what I mean? Because we had uh, different groups coming in and one of the ladies was all softball. Like we got her and she's like, I'm gonna bring all, you know, make the, bring the program up and whatever. And of course, dance continued to just soar. So, you know, we brought this assistant head of school in because of her softball, that's really all she had was softball. And then we didn't do any better in softball. We actually did kind of worse those couple of years. So then that energy started. And then I went to her and I was like, well, we just won a double national championship this year. Are we going to do anything? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I thought, at that moment, I realized, imagine if I had been a man in a men's school and our football team had won this many championships. They'd be carrying me on their shoulders, up and down hallways. They'd make a movie about you. Right? And so it was just, it was just so interesting to see these women who are now in charge. These are our girls that are winning. But it, I don't even feel like it was about the girls anymore. It was this thing with me. Here he comes again. And I would walk in. Who does he think he is? Right? And then I was, and I, and I think, and of course you think back, right? Like our main office. Uh, the ladies would be like, where are my trophies? You know, because when we would come back, we put all the trophies. So when you'd walk into the office, they would be there. And I even thought after a while, that is bothering other people because they'd have to come to the office every day to view it. So the, the parents that are walking in, prospective students are seeing all of this, but they didn't know that the people looking at these trophies, it was building this thing. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, I... It's weird how we as a society, we build something until it gets to this point where then it makes us feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing as, as all the girl's success as the whole school's success, mm -hmm. they had to turn their self-loathing outward toward you. Right. So, and then for a while there after my, my second to last group of championships, we would start to get these little messages oh this teacher wrote a book and i was like how cool is that right but i started to realize they were these random like little sound bites they weren't like oh well let's talk about his book let's bring him up at one of our you know our, our meetings and let's really dive into this i started to realize no these are just kind of little sound bites see what i'm doing see what i'm doing and it wasn't about really delving into what the person had done or whether or not we were going to, you know, celebrate this or get the information from it. It was this feeling of, you're not the only one doing things around here. And, it, you know, it just started to become very clear, very fast. Did the girls notice? I, I Yeah, you know, it, it was, Gary's the only one that cares about us. He's the one. You know, they don't, they don't really, really care about this. And that was hard to take. Mm. You know, you're working in this school. Everybody's got to care. We're all talking about every day how we're raising the next generation of women. We had, you can imagine all the talking points. We're showing Ruth Bader Ginsburg up there. They're quoting Oprah all the time. You know, we've got all, we, we're leaning in. We had, the whole school had to read the book. We were leaning in. And I a diverse school or the student body diverse? <laughs> Not so much? No. Okay. Now we maybe had three or four African-American students, 
maybe a few more Hispanic students, maybe 30 Hispanic students, mm -hmm. you know. So maybe one, two percent of the whole student body. Let's, let's. Even less. Now I'm going to push for more. Let's go with 5% okay. student body. But mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you kind of look back at that and you're like, wow. But of course, as you're looking around one day, we realized that the faculty had shifted as well from when I started. We were quite diverse when I started. I was one of six men, I think, when I started. And now I was one of four men, you know. And yeah, it... Do you think that that came um, on the heels of how the Catholic Church was starting to view male, male uh, power figures and things like that? Or do you think it's just a... No, I, I, I think... Once again, it, this is run by nuns, so it's not. It, the, there's a complete different than being when your school is run by priest versus when it's run by nuns. How so? Oh, completely different. You know, uh, the men, of course, because they are priests, they sit in power positions within the church. So when you're asking when you're asking for money, the men's schools have tons of money. They can find it. They've got the football. They've got that the recruiting. Plus, they're making the decisions. These are priests and deacons and all cardinals and bishops. They're making the decisions of what the church is saying. Nuns have none of that power. All they do is do the work. That's all nuns do. They just work, 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 work. So the money that comes in is not, not one-tenth of what the priests are doing because they're, they have no power to make decisions or choices. Which creates an iron fist within its system, Absolutely. I suppose. Because if you feel like you have no power, you direct the the, the that feeling right. of uh, toward what you do have control over, Absolutely. and then it gets bastardized into something darker. And, and that is that is kind of what happened. Then, of course, everyone shifts away from: Do we want you know uh, someone within the system? So schools now usually reach outside of the system so we have lay people running the school now so usually it's it's we don't have do you mean like non-catholic what does lay person mean like to you? a person that's just not in the clergy whatsoever okay. so we don't have okay. nuns we don't have priests we have people that come from outside to run the school now but of course they believe that then what we'll do is we'll try to put people on the board then the nuns on the board priests on the board so it becomes this weird, weird system, right? Uh, wag the dog. What's actually leading us? Are we, are we, are we going with a, a morality filter? Or, or are we still going whether enough, whether you agree with it or not, are, are we going with the church teachings? Are we taking a hard right and trying to go into a different world? And that is kind of where we were all. We were always every direction, whatever new thing was that that is where we would try to go did you did they have a say over what your uh performances were about or the music that you chose or anything like that or no, did it I, have to have that underlying religious no i think i was always so conservative though because i never wanted to be that i would produce amazing fun happy shows that's really what i wanted to do i wanted the parents to see these kids up there having a wonderful time and of course it would depend on what the t the the strengths of the kids were that year so you know 
four years, you could see where the kids were going. So sometimes I would have like a big group of hip hop girls. So there would be a lot more hip hop that years. Some years I would have more ballerinas. So during Christmas, we were doing all that beautiful ballet. So it, I would just kind of go with what the kids were. And the school 90% of the time stayed out of that. Oh, that's good. That's unusual. Well, I think because I... In any school, that's right. unusual. I think because I, A, was very, very strong. I knew what I was doing. And I, I think I was tougher on my standards than other parts of the school were. So I think they always had this idea. Now, don't, don't think there wasn't pushback, you know. I would, I would hear little things, you know, when I first started uh, because of my, you know, background with the Rockettes, when I brought the little Santa, exact Rockette Christmas Santa costume in, you know, there were a couple of people, do you think that's a little risque? You know, I don't know if that's Christmas. And I was like, did you just say you don't know if the Rockettes are Christmas? Did that just, you, you should re go let that wash all over you and then come back, you know? I was like, how many millions of people are watching the Macy's Day Parade and you don't know that Christmas has started until the Rockettes dance? So it was, you know, but I think this, this, there was, there was always going to be that thing. There was, no matter what you do, there's always going to be those people that have a problem. Then, of course, I introduced the reindeer outfits next year. Same exact, wrapped candy canes. And every year I get the new one, every year the certain people would be like, that's an awful lot of leg showing. I was like, mm-hmm, under tan tights. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. I, I want to hear, uh, I, and just really go backwards for a second. Sure. Talk about uh, the Rockettes. What was that experience like? Ooh, that was overwhelming. That was overwhelming. I mean, firstly, to be chosen to, right. to be the director person. Well, these. actually not the director. So what you do is the hierarchy there is you, you do have the directors and then you have the Rockette line captains and then you have the dance captains that oversee the ensemble. That was and you. So, that was me. So um, once again, that was still an amazing, 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 amazing part. Um, do you have any good stories throwing out there? Oh, I mean, you, 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 you see a lot of things at the Rockette. Imagine, you know, number one, at that time, there were so many Rockettes older than me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There were women on the line, we call it, 10 years older than you. So for what these women had known and seen and come through so many dance captains, there was nothing you could say. So I always, you know, tried to be beyond respectful and to learn so much from them. And not only that, but, you know, the women in the top of the line are like 5'10", you know. So, because when the line goes up, it's a taller lady, so they want to say that they're 5'9", but there's some 5'10", and there have been taller Rockettes, but um, they're in their heels, and so they're all looking down on you. So this was the first time where you're standing talking to someone who's looking down on you, and I thought, this, this is a very different place to be. I had never felt that feeling of when I'm trying to give information out or whatever, and people are consistently looking down on you that are older than you and that literally have been doing this same steps and groups of dances, and you're giving them notes. It was, that was a very frightening, awkward learning experience that I had to learn right then and there. Trust yourself. You know what I mean? Trust, trust what you know. Because even myself, 
I've been doing certain dances a long time, but you start to make them feel the way you want to feel. You want them to feel, not necessarily the way they were originally done. So that was how I would try to, you know, get them to understand, I get it, you've been doing it this way for quite a while. And maybe this is different, because every year we would go back in and say, these are the changes we're gonna make this year. So maybe those are one of those changes. Did it take long to win them over? You know, I don't think so. I've just always kind of been me, and I give all the information, sometimes too much information, and I think people appreciate that. When you have all the information, like, hey, we, make, we get together, we make changes every year. And they were like, we had never even heard that. Oh yeah, and then they tell us what changes we're making. That they it's much. interesting for a group so iconic like the Rockheads, uh -huh. which seem otherworldly. Yeah. They really do. They seem that they just sort of descended upon the planet right. in a line yeah. of high kicking Amazon women. It is. It is. It <laughs> is otherworldly. It absolutely is. And I, you know, I ate that up. That magic, that watching that show over and over and over and over never got old to me. Even when I still see them on the Macy's Day Parade, it never gets old. <gasps> we went, uh, took a trip to New York this year, and of course, I saw a lot of amazing Broadway shows, and we were only there three days, but I had to go see my Rockettes. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what about, uh, what were some of the shows on Broadway that you were in that have good or bad memory? Right, well, Cats was my one. I was gonna yes. say Cats, I had a feeling you were right. a Cats guy. Yes, <laughs> but I was the king of national tours. New York wasn't the place I wanted to live. So whenever a show, the Broadway show would then, would go out on the road, I was like, I was your guy. So I did West Side Story, I did Chicago, I did a show called uh, Five Guys Named Mo, I did The Who's Tommy, and then I toured through Europe with them. Um, I was I did Cats in Europe for a long time. Who were you in Cats? I was Mistopheles. Shut the front door. It is shut. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I drove my family crazy by singing the, the Cats but along with the record oh, growing yeah, I'm up sure. as a little kid. Just, yeah. They're like, shut up. <laughs> no, that was the show. And of course, it's so funny because everyone talks about that show, whether you love it or hate it. And I just think it was so funny because that was, at the time, that was the show for dancers. Those were skills that you just didn't see on the stage when you were watch, you know, when you were watching Mistopheles do those Olisacone turns. And back in the day, you know, they were just... The, these feats, you know, it was, a, it was just marvel. That was only done in ballet, you know what I mean? Uh, and so it was just so exciting to see these skills that, you know, like real dancing in our opinion, you know, real pirouettes on stage, just these real skills. But now, of course, if you don't have those turns times 100, it's nothing. Now you look at it and it doesn't seem like because the, everything's always growing on top of itself. Absolutely, and dance now is a whole, it's a sport. It's not just an art anymore. We'll call it spart. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. is It is really, these are beyond athletes. Before we, you know, had to take care of our bodies and all that. But now, you know, you're looking at people, you know, I'll call them kids because they're like in their mid-20s and late-30s looking at hip replacement surgeries already and things and done by the time they're 35. You know, I'm still dancing. I think I was dancing more now you know, and I'm going to be 48 this year than I was in my 30s. I'm dancing, you know, teaching kids eight hours a day. And I'm looking at people going, you're done in your 30s. Wow. 
Wow, mm. that's incredible. Did the men uh, within the companies have the same? Uh, when I, and again, this is also glamorized, I suppose, but the eating disorder, the body image issues, all that stuff, you think of it as um, a woman problem within dance and opera and theater and all that kind of thing. Were the men, men just oh, as yeah. affected? The same thing. This, you know, For men, though, it became the whole idea of bulking up, having to look you know, having muscles, 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 muscles everywhere. It be, you know, it became this thing. And you look at shows now, and 60% of them, if you don't even own a shirt. You know, men, now you usually, if you do, if you look at them, it's just a pair of pants you're getting handed. No shirt, no shoes. So that's, you know, that's tough. And so I think the women are fighting to stay skinny, and the guys are staying in the gym, you know. And steroids and things. Oh, right? any, yeah. anything, any supplement that they can stick in their body. So, you know... Which is why at 35 they're retiring. Yeah. They're trashing their bodies. Right, inside and out. Mm -hmm. You know, doing skills over and over again that your body isn't just simply meant to do, let alone sticking stuff inside your body that's just not meant to be there, mm -hmm. to, to look a certain way. Uh, when you brought all these skills mm -hmm. to the girls, yeah. but I, when somebody realized who you were and what mm -hmm. you've done, did, did you have to have to bring them off of the wall that they climbed up when they learned who you are? Well, I, I would always diminish that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but with the YouTubes and that kind of thing, I'm sure well, once the word got out, it got out hard. Well, like I told you, for a long time, though, I would start to unfollow myself. When someone would post something that mm -hmm. I was in, I would unfollow it. So it took a long time for the kids to find things. Mm. And even if they found one it was still hard to find the next one because you had to know where to look. You know, YouTube is a pit. So, and every now and then I would do a showing of something. Like I would post, you know, my kids started to follow me on Instagram. So I thought this will be the fun way to bring out these old, old, and I wouldn't do videos or anything, but I would post a picture of me when I was working at Disney. I was like, here's me as a kid of the kingdom. You know what I mean? In my little Disney shirt or whatever. And, the, you know, those would just, they would, he didn't tell us he worked at Disney. You know, and it'd be, start these conversations or then I would show pictures of me in certain costumes. Or I would put a picture of maybe just me in cat face fur. And, and they're like, wait, I think that's him. Right? So these, it became a fun thing. A really, really fun thing where I would just show them behind the curtain a little bit. Mm -hmm. When did you come to the realization that it was time for you to hang up your leotard, as it were, at the school? Um, well, I've been doing a lot of soul searching about that. About two and a half years ago, um, I realized that it was, it was time to... My body wasn't going to last forever. That's how I started the next little path going you're not gonna be able to teach eight hours a day forever. You know, teachers at this school teach English. I can sit down in my chair for eight hours a day and teach kids this way. And I realized my beginning classes, I'm just adding more and more. They all want to take, but my body can't take it. It's just not. So I started having that conversation then with the powers that be, but they just couldn't see me in any other position because I was so valuable in that position. So the last two and a half years, I just, you know that there's something not right. So I went out and started creating joy for myself. Um, actually, I think it's a little longer than that, maybe three and a half years, because I started a college dance team. Because I had had girls that were, for the first time, not going to go to a four-year university, and they were kind of down on themselves. And I was like, why are you down? A, it's financial. It wasn't about your grades. What, what, what's happening here? And so I, they were like, well, I'm just going to miss 
those things, I think, those four-year universities, sorority, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, why don't we do this? You've been on dance team so long. If you girls can get together and pick one junior college for two years, maybe I'll approach them and see if we can do a dance team. Well, they did. They chose Skyline College. I approached Amber Steele. We created a college dance team. Three times we were West Coast champions, right? So that was my new. I could give to someone new, something different, you know? And it was still my girls and other girls, but it was still a new challenge. Mm -hmm. Then I started to go into other things. I was like, I'm a theater guy. I'm not just this dance teacher, even though I've mastered it. It's my first love was dance. I've really changed a little bit. So I reached out and started choreographing local musicals. Then I started directing local musicals. And right now I'm directing and choreographing a local musical. And then I'm prepping to do choreograph another musical. And then I'm in discussions about directing and choreographing five shows in 2020. So you're creating a whole new world for yourself. Well, and I that was where I knew I needed to go. And of course, we look at the negative and I realize that it wasn't all about the school. I had just simply outgrown it. They had, they had offered me this amazing dance program and dance world. I needed more than that. And that's where I've really kind of come to. You know what I mean? You needed more of that and you weren't being honest with yourself. You, it was time to expand. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I think that people, when you make a change, yeah. people tend to look at it like you're giving something up. Mm -hmm. They don't tend to look at it that you're actually growing into something more. Right. And I don't know what, what that is about humans that mm -hmm. we do that, but it seems, it seems to be the case. Right. And I did. I just needed so much more, you know. And on my last day, I literally took an hour to clean out my office, and I packed it all up. And trust me, I had a lot of stuff. I'm... Oh, when you're a teacher, you get a lot of sure. stuff. And I was a Disney fanatic, and so people would bring me all sorts of Disney stuff. And so I'm literally like packing up 10 years. And this foot, I guess, was so interesting because school's beautiful on 44 acres and, you know, just this beautiful place. And I'm walking out with my last box, and I probably walk past 100 trophies. And I realized that they just meant nothing. Huh. I'm thinking about all the experiences and the kids and these wonderful trips to Europe that I used to do during the summers. I'm taking all of this and I'm just at such peace that I don't think I had felt in so long. I didn't know that I hadn't had it. Does that make sense? Why? Like it came over me as I was walking, I was like, oh, you haven't had this in so long. It's such a foreign feeling to you to know this peace that you have as you're doing it. And so driving off that campus the last time, I was so good with like, I'm good. I've done so much here. I'm cool. Have you seen some of your kids go on to do Broadway? Uh, not yet. I have girls who are actually going into amazing different programs. Like I had a couple that went to the Rocket camps, but because they weren't seniors in high school yet, mm. they came back. Mm -hmm. But I know that I have two that easily the Rockets would take them. Um, I have one that's gra graduating next year, so she's going to the camp this year, so I'm sure maybe in a year that she may even bypass college for a couple of years. Um, I have some that are going on to different art schools right now, so they'll be graduating in a couple of years. So 
Come back in three years, and I bet you will, I'll be mm. saying that I've got a few in, on Broadway. What is the production you're doing right now? I'm in rehearsal for Drowsy Chaperone in San Francisco at the Shelton Theater. Oh, and will it run so people can check um, it out? We run, uh, we open June 25th and run through August 5th. Perfect. Yeah. Your story, I, I feel like there's probably so many more layers. I oh, just, there's uh, a lot of mess to that. Where do you think you're, where, where are you heading? What's? I think I want to take the ideals that were talked about over my last 10 years at my school and actually make them real. Like? I, I think I want to really, I want to work in an organization that allows me to work in live theater. So whatever that is, whether it's working with students, working on their podcast, working with, you know, um, documentary filmmakers, working with the dance program, working with the arts program, you know, just that whole idea of live performance, right? Because I think we're starting to forget and think that there's so many different avenues to it. Um, and how to bring those kids and mix them with the community, whether it's local or global, and get that going. This whole idea that it's right outside of your door. You know what I mean? That it's not just because you're in an academic situation doesn't mean that we can't mix all of these things together. So I want to get the community involved. You know, I think that when I was when we were on in our little world in school, that's kind of just what we did. Right? And then we took one little speaker in and we let them speak and then they kind of went away. It wasn't this mixture of things. So I would love to, you know, work in an organization that maybe has that speaker stay for a week and they work with different groups on campuses to say, okay, you know, I wrote this book on Latin heritage. Let me meet with the Ballet Folklorical Club. Then maybe we're going to go work within humanities. To, to tell you maybe how this can bridge it. Maybe I then go work within the arts to program. What, what piece are you working? You know, maybe there's so many ways to just bring the community in and touch in so many different ways. So we've actually made a connection. It's not just like we put this person up on a pedestal, they speak, you clap, you try to figure out what the knowledge is, how to make it useful, mm -hmm. how to get us all talking about the problems and the situations and the culture and the art and life. Well, it's interesting you said something a second ago. You said to incorporate the ideals that we were working on but never quite. Right. And to me, that implies that there was a lack of, that, that there was a grand idea, a grand yeah. scheme, but that it never saw its fruition. It, and that is a community outreach that never quite well, made I, it? Or is it, like you're saying, just getting the getting things to go deeper, which well, people don't tend to go deep. But that I think that's it, right? I think that's... I think they did what they thought. They they discussed it. It was a talking point. They brought it up. They brought someone. It was over. Right? So it's a it's a room, and they say we need to have a more diverse conversation about uh, you know the Latin culture or right. or about uh, politic or religion right. or let's invite somebody who's Jewish or a rabbi you know whatever. Yeah. And then they would talk about that's a great idea. I feel good about this. Right. And then they would have their moment and then be over, and it would satiate their. Right. feeling like they'd done something, but they hadn't really done much at all. Right, and I think that's kind of where we are in the last four years. We'll talk about it all, but when you have to do the work, and I, and I think that I'm the person that I've listened to so many ideas. I'm cool on the ideas, right? There, there's so many out there. 
I, I kind of want to do the work now. I want to find a place that'll let me do the work. You're a show, don't tell. Right? I, I don't care about who takes the credit. I've bowed a lot in my life. I've said that to people. You can have the credit. If that's really why you're doing this, then have all the credit. Bow all day long. I will hand you roses at the end. I don't need to bow. Let's do the work. Let's actually do what we said we were going to do. Let's mix art and culture and let's bring people together and let's keep them together. Let's, 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 let's get this thing going where we're actually working on something. And maybe it's not just bringing in someone so that we realize that they're the same of same as us, give them something to do. Because I think that's what we also forget. We, we bring someone in that's different for us and we just listen. You, you, you don't know what a person is going through or what a person is like until you actually have to work with that person and to do something with that person. And so I think a lot of schools could do more at that. You know, because I see jobs even with schools, community outreach, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, cool. What are you actually doing? Oh, we have speakers come in and talk. Cool. Then it's what one, do these speakers do? That's just a one-way thing. Right. Then yeah. what do these speakers do? Because I love these TED Talks. Yeah. How do these TED Talks then develop in anything? I just gave you information. I can listen to the TED Talk then on television. Why do I need the speaker to come in unless that person is effectively going to stay and work their way through your campus? to figure out how it actually applies. So you're going to develop those programs? I'm hoping. I hope so too. Yeah, I'm hoping. That's, you know, and that's big. I think those are kind of big ideas to be able to sell to people. But I think, you know, I, I had a friend recently who said, because I was like, how do you manifest? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to manifest what's in my head, and there's a lot of information in there about really what I want. You know, and they said, well, the first thing is you have to speak it. It may sound crazy to you, and it may sound crazy to others, but someone will hear you that gets it. So I guess speaking it and writing it and putting it down and thinking really hard about how it should work and how it should line up, I guess, is the first way. Do you feel, do you feel things are changing in, in a positive way that people are starting to, for lack of a better word, wake up to what is necessary versus what feels good? I think we're woke. I think, once again, that's a, that's a talking point, right? I'm woke. Woke to what? I was like, whether or not you wanted to see it, you saw it. Whether or not you wanted to hear it, you heard it. So you were awake. So what are you saying now? You're, you're going to say that you saw it? You're going to say that you heard it? Because that's where I feel like we are now. Everybody says, these are the things I see and these are the things I hear. Great. So now you're saying that what people have been saying for 30 years is accurate. So you think we needed your confirmation to say that I had been treated that way or that's the way? You, you, uh, okay. Uh, I didn't need your confirmation to know that I know that that existed in the world. But thank you for being woke. Do I think that there are people actually doing things with it? No. Because the work is really, really hard. The work is very, very hard, and I don't think I don't think the majority of people want to work that hard and be that uncomfortable. Especially within our country, we're very comfortable. Once again, I know that there are people that aren't in this world, but we're very, very comfortable as a society. So making ourselves uncomfortable on purpose is almost unheard of. And saying you are aware of something 
removes yourself from your own feelings of guilt or it gives you an absolution, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if they actually do the work beyond the speak of it, if I say to you, oh, well, I get it, you know, you're a black man in America and there were slaves and that's a terrible thing and blah, blah, blah. And then that's it. I'm absolved because right. I've, I've somehow sympathized with you and empathized with you. Right. But if I don't see the continued plight, mm -hmm. then what good is it? It's, it's, but see, if I keep looking at the plight, mm -hmm. then I have to look at myself mm -hmm. and how I'm part of the problem. Right. Speaking it, I think for a lot of people, and mm -hmm. I'm not going to say across the board, but I think for a lot of people, when you speak it, you've then removed yourself from being part of the problem. Well, and that's the religious doctrine. Once you speak it's, it, you're absolved. Well, and it, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's the human doctrine. I, I mean, I okay. wouldn't hang my hat only on religion for that. Right. I think human beings do that. Right. If I acknowledge that I've seen it, I acknowledge that I've heard it, I've done my part, right. I am absolved. Right. Because I'm now in solidarity with you. Or if you want to use the, the colloquialism, woke. I am now right. woke. But if I take one step back and look how I play a part in it, mm -hmm. then it starts to get uncomfortable. Well, see, I do, but And I, people don't like to do that. I know, but I think religion has so much more play at this. I think that we've all been surrounded by our entire lives. I do think the absolution, the speaking it, is that religion thing. Because when you look at these, these other ideas, like if you see, you know, uh, people put in a situation where a kid is being bullied, or right? That, like that show, people step in. They step up. But they won't step up some people won't step up, I think. Well, it's not my... That's all learned but behavior. But is it because they see the bully in themselves and it makes them... It uh, do you know what I mean? Even if they're not conscious of it. But I, I think it's still a learned behavior. I think that it's a learned behavior, right? This is not my problem. This is... Your natural human inclination is to save. I don't know anyone that can watch there and not want to save someone. You'd be surprised. But I think, once again, that's a learned thing. I don't think that's naturally inherent to humans. I just don't. I want to agree with you mm -hmm. because I, I do believe that we are, we see it a lot when, when disaster strikes mm -hmm. or you see somebody getting mugged, that a great many people would step in and say, right. wait, but there is this weird herd mentality that when there's a group around, you know, that, that suddenly now they're they step back into themselves. Well, I think I think that's more fear about what people are going to say about me if I speak my truth. That's what I'm saying, though. Right. That's that's where things get complicated. Although but see, I, I still think that's a learned. You do. I do. I think that is society for all these years say you should be women. You should be seen and not heard. We don't do that. We don't. We 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 we, we don't do that. You know. You learn from it. We we gossip about her. We don't talk to her outright. These are learned behaviors. These are not natural things. And when you see them over and over and over and over, they compound. You know, and then once you get a group of one group together, and I think that's partly what we're talking about, because I got to see what it's like when you get a group of women together. And what happens? Oh, I, I think those things that you can say negative about a sorority can apply to a group of women at any age. I saw there were quite a few years that we looked like a sorority, and there were a group of women running things that actually almost referred to it as a sorority. Can you go deeper with that, what that means to you? Sure. There, there were, when we would do certain events, we would have certain faces for you to see at the beginning. And in sororities, they do that as well. They show you the pretty girls. I see. And then they had this horrible thing, the kitchen girls that would be serving the food, sending it out. We did that. We did that for a few years. You know, and all of that type of stuff shocked me. I thought, 
no, when you're in power, you're supposed to change. Like, you would never do it that way. And I learned, oh, no, no, no. This is the way you learn to play the game. So you're just playing the game by the rules because you realize, you do realize, you benefited from this system. There it is. You want to say that. There it is. I know. Yeah. You're benefiting is. from the system because right. you're in charge. Yeah. Well, and even if you're not in charge, there is something to be said about benefiting from a system that has its rules in place, its hierarchies in place. And I and I watched us go from looking a certain way to where we, when you hire new people, all of a sudden everyone started to look and sound just like them. And I thought, oh, so when the men did that, this, this was a problem. When men hired those that sounded like them and made them feel comfortable, it was a problem. But now that I'm sitting here with a group of women sounding and looking the same way, all of you have kids. You spend the first 20 minutes talking about your kids and play dates and stuff. This isn't a problem. Yeah. That was an interesting pill to swallow, to actually watch it unfold, but then to hear you know, the sacrimonious cries every day about how we're still being kept down. And I would just kind of look around and go, <laughs> this isn't funny anymore. It was funny when you started it. But as we continue and you're starting to look more and sound more like each other, it's not funny anymore. You're actually serious. Did you say that to anyone? Did oh, they yeah. acknowledge Oh, yeah. Of course, it? of course. And then, of course, that just made it worse because mm. it would get back to them. Mm. And of course, what could they say? The evidence is around. Like, all I have to do is look around. So as you were being more in your truth, they probably made your life a little more miserable <laughs> to push you out. And you know, I think that you do what, you, the choices you're making are your choices. I don't think I would have left if it was beyond comfortable. Who leaves, right? Even though you're not necessarily fulfilled, if you're not unhappy, you don't leave a place. Isn't that interesting? The line between unhappy and happy, right. complacency, mm -hmm. that line is so packed full of people. Right. And I had to own up. I've like literally been doing all, the, I was like, I wasn't going anywhere. I was actively looking. I do, I was, but I, I was self-sabotaging because I knew there, there was this little, right? And then I had these wonderful friends and they're like, we can't imagine being here without you. And so it would drag me back, then it would drag, and then I would reach out to my family and they're like, Gary, those girls need you, you've done so much. And it would just drag me back and everything in me did not want to be there anymore. But, it, but everything they said was logical, of course. This job, you had created it, it was your baby. It, you know, you're, and so you're weighing all the logic, but your heart is telling you every day, ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> and I did. I would be in my office and I just put my head down some days. I don't want to be here. And I used to look at the beauty, my office, my dance room, overlooked the pool. You know, we had, you know, like I said, the beautiful 44 acres. And then we had all these different gardens you could walk in. And after a while, I would just get in my car and drive. I couldn't even see the beauty anymore because it was just, it was just so, the energy had changed so much that, I just, I knew, I knew, I knew. And then all of these little confirming things that this is their world now. People should be able to feel comfortable. They should be with those that have similar traits to themselves, similar goals, similar ideas. I'm not a young white woman looking to have kids anytime too soon. It's time for me to go. And that was hard for me to say. 
because when I first got there, I felt that's what they wanted. They wanted so much diversity. They wanted rock stars. And that's what they hired. Rock stars. There were a lot of rock stars when I first got there. And I was the last one standing. Do you think that all those people that were there when you started, did they come to the same conclusion just, that you did? That just much faster. Yeah. I was just burning so hot so long that you couldn't feel the chill. You know, I was burning so hot. Lots of kids, lots of parents, everyone talked. Show just the energy around the school when it came to dance was burning too hot. So even though it was cold, I never felt it until I got tired. So I didn't burn as hot, didn't burn as hot, didn't burn as hot, and then all of a sudden I started to feel the chill. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about a project that excites you or that you were excited about when, when you were at Mercy. Okay, so what happened was our Sisters of Mercy uh, basically put out a statement saying that these are the things that we feel are the most important right now, and this is what we're going to act upon. So it's immigration, it's uh, education for women, it's, um, in, you know, environment, uh, of course, abuse, all of those different things. And so I sat down with this big list to the girls, because they're lofty, you know what I mean? They're written for, you know theologians pretty much and I was like okay what does this mean to you from where we're at you know and we live in a very affluent area with kids from big 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 different socioeconomic backgrounds even though we're at the same school you know what I mean in the same so I thought what are we gonna do so the girls came up with 24 dances 24 ideas on all my classes so this was freshman girls 14 all the way up through 18 years old. So you can imagine the level. And uh, the concert we called it was What's Left Unsaid? Because for so much our parents are speaking for us. The Sisters of Mercy are saying what we think is important. The kids are like, well, these are all the things that you don't talk about because they're for us. And so we did that. We talked about PTSD, you know, a lot of that, what that really does to a young female, you know. So we had one uh, one dance that we did with the girls about um, uh, when a friend dies, because we had uh, a boy from our brother school uh, whose car went off the side of the road, and then all of them had to deal with that, you know. So that was pretty incredible. Uh, also, when that little thing starts talking to you, um, and for the girls, it was eating disorders, but we get that everyone has that little thing that talks to you, whether that some of the girls talked about drug abuse. They know that that was that little thing. For me, it's this, for that, but it's the same little thing. So the number was so impactful because you could take away from it what that little voice inside you was. Um, you know, we, we talked about a lot about the police brutality. We live in that. The girls actually are driving down the street and you just see a homeless person. And it's very rare in this neighborhood that you'll see a homeless person. But there'll be like five cop cars around one homeless person. And you're like, that's ridiculous. And so the girls really wanted to talk about all of these things from us. You know, because there's a difference, they say, in a public school. Well, kids are allowed to speak. They can just get on the news, speak, talk about to whatever. But in a private school, you don't talk outside of the doors or the windows. So this was their way to be able to kind of get it out. That gives me the shivers because you, that idea of not having self-dominion is so harmful. Mm -hmm. And you see it everywhere you go. It's not just kids that have no dominion right. over themselves. It's 
uh, you know, people walking down the street just trying to live their lives. Maybe their boss is mm-hmm. one way or their husband or their wife or, you know, a kid whose parent is a certain way. Right. It's to give children a voice is so powerful. And I think what we forget is the more we have, the less voice those kids have. The more affluence, you mean? Yeah. Mm. Because the parents have decided, you know, because they know how to get there. So that path is much straighter in their mind for their kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're, you know, Ole Miss school. You Mm. will go to Ole Miss. You know, when you're a kid whose parents don't have a lot of money, we're going where you get the most money in scholarship. That path is kind of windy. We're going to get there whichever way. But when you come from affluence and your parents have been paying twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a year for you to go to school, expectation, go, yeah, expectation becomes the chain around your neck, right? Yeah. And your voice, the golden chain, but right. a chain nonetheless. And the voice, your voice is a lot less heard. Your opinion isn't necessary. They know how to get there. They know how to do it. They know how to get to that level of success. So I think for my girls being able to say, no, this is what you didn't say, though. You know, and the picture is a girl sitting there with her mouth covered, you know. How did the audience, how did they take it in? They they really took it in. They really, really took it in. They got that each one of these girls were different this year. You know what I mean? We had seen them be beautiful showgirls. Put that best face forward. Well, now this was scratching behind the surface a little bit, and they—I I think they were—they loved the beauty and the artistic. It's exactly what they expected, but they had to stop and sit in it for a moment. And I think that was the enjoyable moment for the parents. I did receive a lot of emails going, "I've seen a lot of your shows, and I." You know, I naturally gravitate to the high kicking, the fabulous showgirls and the feathers or whatever. But I think this was my favorite one. It was truth. Truth. And I finally got to see my own child. You know. I wonder how certain parents reacted to some of the stories. Again, it's that thing about I can be woke as long as I don't feel too much. Well, I think seeing your child grow whether you agree with the way they're growing or not is is a sobering idea to some. Um, w- one of the girls did a number called I'm Not Perfect. Um, and she has, you know, her and her mom last couple of years have just been button hits, button hits. And uh, this is the girl, first girl that's going to my alma mater. So she's going to Oklahoma City University and she's majoring in dance. So it's, it's, just crazy watching her follow in the footsteps. I never had a rough time with my mom, but just to see once she hit that trajectory, to know she wanted to dance, but knew she wasn't going to be perfect at it, but she wanted to work towards these goals, I think her mom got it that she's going to be fine. She gets it. She knows she's going to have to work as hard at this as any other career, maybe harder, and she gets it. But what we did behind her was she danced this beautiful dance, and behind her I put magazines, and it was just Vogue, (laughs) cover after cover after cover after cover, and that's all I did was scroll behind her. Because we don't see that we're just telling 
oh, them every day. 100%. What it looks like to be perfect. Sure. And so I wanted to make it global with the Vogue, but the mother, of course, took her own story. She knew why we created that. So I think the mom is looking at it from one different way, but I was able to reach out to the world by flipping the pages over and over. And that's all that was going on behind her was the flipping of the pages. And then at the very end, it just shows her picture. Hmm. I do think our own fear masks itself in, um, in parental gui guidance and, and doing... I think that there's probably some... Pl I'm not a parent, right. so I can only ascertain what I what I've seen is that the perfectionist parents who require a perfectionist child mm -hmm. I think in their head they think they're doing it from a place of love but in fact they're doing it from a place of fear absolutely and I think some parents would tell you they fear right like this mom is like one of the big wigs at visa she's like the only woman one of the only women I mean and she's running this big traveling around the world 35 weeks out of the year. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think there's every day that she's still fearful. Do you know what I mean? This will come to an end someday. There mm. will be a point I cannot well, keep this up. So I do think that no matter what, there is fear yeah. placed upon sure. at any given moment. And that it's confused with protection and love. Yeah. I, I mean, it is love, but it's not love. Right. Because <laughs> fear is the opposite of love. Absolutely. But again, not a parent. So mm -hmm. for, it's easy for me to say, you know, let your child learn their own dominion over mm -hmm. themselves. I think maybe as a parent, it's much harder to achieve right. that because you want better for, in theory, you want better for your child. Right. I had a complicated relationship with my mother, God knows. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's amazing any of us survive it, our, chil our childhood, honestly. Well, it's true. And then, of course, your parents do things because of the way their parents of did course. them. And they do the completely opposite, right? And it's right? in all of our DNA. And yep. their grandparents and their grandparents and every step taken. Right bleeds down through the line, through the cell. And so I think our job our job is basically undoing everything that was done to us as children that we never wanted to touch on again. We hope. Yeah. Yeah. And we forget though that if those things did not happen, we would not be the people we are. That is true. You must leave what is. I get that some things are painful, but they give you the perspective of where you are. Are. I'm not talking about violence. To me, I, I wish no one had to go through violence. I'm not talking about that. But failing, falling down, getting fired, all of those things being broken up with. Like, you, you, it's you so must, wrapped in shame, you, though, right? right? It's so wrapped in shame, all of it. Right, but isn't it so funny that once again, once we listen to all those little sound bites, all the greatness came out of those things. So we're, but we're still fighting this certain parents to not let your kids go through those things. Yes, I don't want your child to go through any physical harm, but they have to endure something or sure. it's just they're not learning or growing or going anywhere. And then they don't know how to do anything because I don't know how then to react to a situation. And I, I noticed that we were also doing that for a lot of our girls when we sent them to college. We had them in these perfectly hibernated little cocoon bubbles where they were all so safe and this and now we're like okay well you're a senior good luck because <laughs> the world is not a cocoon right it is 400 vicious. girls right <laughs> that's being protected now we're literally going to drop you on campus with sixteen thousand 
by yourself. Good luck. Hmm. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I, I could talk to you probably all afternoon, Gary, but <laughs> um, how might people find you if they want to learn more about you? And um, I have my website, GaryFergusonSite.com, and it just kind of talks about um, all the little things that I'm doing business-wise. Um, I have the same thing, Gary Ferguson site, um, uh on Instagram. And then, of course, my personal one is Dance with G on Instagram. That is just me doing my craziness. I'm now, I like, literally, you'll see all my fashion choices. I'm pulling all my clothes right now because I'm kind of a fashionista getting ready to see Lady Gaga in June. So she's doing both concerts. So we're staying for the whole week to be able to see that. So if you want to see my crazy trip to see Lady Gaga in June, come and do that. You'll also see that I'm working with uh, San Carlos Children's Theater this summer doing a conservatory for kids. So I'm doing my third Mamma Mia of the season. So yeah, very, very busy in wonderful. everything. Well, I'm hoping here in a few years, I'll find out that you have implemented some really cool in-school, out-school programs as well. I mean, we Makes need sense. that as just human beings, the very basic thing that we are. Right. The, the, the people being out there making the connection mm -hmm. in a in a circle mm -hmm. instead of a line. That's what we need. <sighs> Absolutely. Bring the on circle. the circle. Right. You said it. The circle. Yeah. Gary, thank you. Well, thank you. Really appreciate it. And I'll put links for all your info on my HeyHumanPodcast.com cool. website too. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Thank you. Bye.